Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I'll read uh, one of the works by Robert A. Heinlein and give you my thoughts about it, um, beginning with his earliest short stories and ending with his um, his novels. But I'm going to do it in chronological order as best I can. Um, and in this story for today, it's Requiem, which was published in in 1940 in Astounding Magazine. And f- I don't know if there's too much to say about this particular story. I might disappoint you if you're a real fan of this story, partially because it's a it ends up being a prequel to another longer story, almost a novella called The Man Who uh, The Man Who Sold the Moon, which is about an entrepreneur using his wealth and his innovation to try to get to the to the moon and achieving in those technologies. That's written later. This was written first, so it's kind of a, a retcon. It's kind of a prequel, essentially, is what we get in The Man Who Sold the Moon. I haven't read that book that, or that long short story or novella, whatever it is. I have uh, just read Requiem, though. And um, it's fairly straightforward. Um, I don't think it's nearly as interesting in terms of ideas as the last story we some of the last stories we looked at like the roads must roll or let there be light but it's um it's not bad i think it's entertaining i just think it works maybe better as a coda to that longer story because we're going to know more about this character and get his life's work and uh really see what Heinlein's trying to say about the relationship between entrepreneurialism and space exploration um because we just get the end of that story here and of course i think it's relevant for today because we do have uh you know people like elon musk who you know talk up how these entrepreneurial energies are going to be able to get us to mars and so far there's not really been much success towards that um you know and we see generally a privatization of of space exploration or a militarization of space exploration or things like that. NASA's not doing what it doesn't seem to be doing what it was. Maybe it's people have lost interest, so you don't see the press on it anymore. But you don't get the feeling of a clear ambition of what we're going to do when. It's or at least not it's not very well communicated to the people. So, but we do have like a private, a very well publicized and well known privatized effort to get to space that I think is not going to go anywhere. I mean, I'm not in big advocate of, of Martian colonization being done by a private corporation. I'm kind of with Stim, Stim, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson here in that it's got to be a, a space for recreation of, of humanity or a reimagining of humanity's place and, and culture and should be owned by the Martian settlers themselves, not by a corporation that's seeking to somehow profit from it. But anyway, that's what we got here. But we're at the end result of it. So we've seen mankind has achieved travel to the moon. It's become mundane, right? It's actually like a fair stand ride, a fair ride almost is what we see. Um, now, our main character is uh, 
this man Harriman, and he's the same character we're going to get in uh, The Man Who Sold the Moon. Um, but now he's an old man. And he's an old man who was still has never achieved, he's never seen the promised land. He's never been able to go to the moon himself, but many other people have. Now, the f opening we get is, is kind of interesting. It says, on a high hill in Samoa, there is a grave inscribed on the marker are these words. Under the wide and starry sky, dig my grave and let me lie. Glad that I live and gladly die, and I lay me down with a will. This be the verse you grave for me. Here he lies where he longed to be. Home is a sailor, home from the sea, and the hunter home from the hill. Now, this is on the headstone of Robert Louis Stevenson in, in Samoa. So the theme of this, obviously, is someone being laid to rest, not in their homeland, not in their hometown, not in their home village, but in the place that they want to be, the place that their adventures have taken them to. And that's all nice. I dig it. It's certainly nice that someone is uh, able to fulfill their vision and finally see the promised land, if you will. Not be like Moses or or Martin Luther King Jr. or whatever historical figure you want to use to throw in there. Um, yeah, it's nice. And that's pretty much what the story tells us. He uh, is an old man and he wants to go, but there's all sorts of legal restrictions. So space travel has gone from being a frontier thing to a mundane everyday thing where you actually have state regulation over who can travel. And, uh, you know, people with certain heart conditions or certain physical fitness requirements or of a certain age are not allowed to go to space because the, the, the G forces or the reentry forces or, or something, it's just not, they're going to die. There's a good chance they'll die. So for their own good, they're kept here on Earth. You know, they can't partake. And so he's missed his chance to go to space. But it's really become a kind of a mundane thing. I think that's the feeling I get here. Space travel is not amazing for most people, except for Harriman. Harriman, for him, it's still something amazing to see the moon. It's kind of like that Futurama episode, that I think the second one, where they go to the moon and everyone thinks it's just boring and stupid and there's just an amusement park there. But Fry, who's never had the chance to go to space before, thinks it's the most amazing thing ever. Um, and so he's kind of a sad figure not having been able to achieve what his life work has allowed others to achieve. And that's, that's nice. So we got this great man, uh, a very high, Robert A. Heinlein style, great man, a scientist, entrepreneur, you know, bold risk taker, individualist who tries to do this. And he's never got to go to the moon despite all his efforts. Um, so he goes to one of these like fair, fair uh, rides that take you to the moon. Uh, and he asks to charter a trip from these engineers. And they say, can't do it. Quote, the old boat's worn out. We don't even use the standard juice in her, just gasoline and liquid air. Charlie spends all his time tinkering with her at that. She's going to blow up someday. Now, I don't know how old Harry Man is, but like... It seems like it's a generation or more since he's innovated this. and He's never got to go. So I'll have to read the man who sold the moon to see why it is he's never been able to go. What's gotten in his way. Because he's old now, but he wasn't always old, right? Why couldn't he go a long time ago? But he has this desire. Quote, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do since I was a boy, he says. I don't know whether I can explain it to you or not. You young fellows have grown up to travel. 
the way I grew up to aviation. I'm a great deal older than you are, maybe 50 years older. So that so he's 70, let's say, right? Or 80. When I was a kid, nobody believed that men would ever reach the moon. You've seen rockets all your life, and the first to reach the moon got there before you were old enough to vote. When I was a boy, you they laughed at the idea. So that's basically the heart of the story. There's not that much more going on here, frankly. Um, now, he goes, finally makes a deal to do this, and he sets up to put his affairs in order. And because he's wealthy, he basically does this by creating a trust fund for his grandkids and kids so they can go to college, um, all that, protect his company, protect his assets from some of his, his colleagues. So he does kind of the legal stuff, which that kind of stuff seems of some interest to Heinlein. I'm not sure why a lot of his stories have that kind of insurance, the IP, accounts, uh, you know, and so, almost every Heinlein story I've, I've read or every of the few novels I've read, there seems to be a lot of bureaucratic stuff that is somehow interesting to him. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's just because he's coming from that moment in American history where you have this kind of, uh, it's a very bureaucratic, it's like the triumph of the bureaucracy after World War II. Um, but eventually his family sues to say he can't go to space. He can't go because they want to save his life. They want to help dear old grandpa so he won't die. They want to protect his life. And the lawyer makes the case that not only is he provided for his family, it's not going to be a risk to them. They have nothing to lose. They're not going to lose wealth from that. And... Um, and here's what the lawyer says. Quote... But now like vultures, worse than vultures for they are not content to let him die in peace. They would prevent my client from enjoying his wealth in whatever manner best suits him for the few remaining years of his life, end quote. So that's part of the dispute is, yeah, the family's been provided for with, with money, but maybe not. This trip's going to cost a lot. So he's, it's going, to, so the family's going to have less money. So I guess they are losing out on some of the inheritance. Um, but. He's saying this is his, his dying wish, is to go to space. And the courts side with the family, saying, Mr. Crammons, that's the lawyer, this court has a high regard for individual liberty, as you have, and you may rest assured that any action taken will be solely in the interest of your clients. Nevertheless, men do grow old. Men do become senile, and in such cases must be protected. Um, so he escapes and does the trip anyways. And... Goes to the moon and dies there and is able to carve that Robert Louis Stevenson quote on the moon, leaving it there as, as a record. So he gets to see the moon. He gets to see space. He gets to go to the promised land in the last moment. So it's just a lot of Moses metaphors going on here. Now, Heinlein does do a good job of putting this in our, our character's head, what he's seen and the amazement he sees, writing, the moon swung majestically past the viewpoint twice as wide as he had ever seen it before. All of the familiar features cameo clear. She gave way to an earth, to the earth as the ship continued its slow swing. The earth itself, as he had envisioned her, appearing like a noble moon, eight times as wide as the moon appeared before the earth bound and much luscious, more sensuously beautiful than the silver moon could be. It was sunset near the Atlantic seaboard. A line of shadow ran down the Hudson Bay, slashed through the eastern coastline of North America, touched Cuba, and obscured the eastern bulge of South America. He savored the mellow blue of the Pacific Ocean, felt the texture of the soft green and blue of the continents, admired the blue-white cold of the polar caps. 
Canada and the Great Northwest were obscured by clouds, a vast low pressure area that spread across the continent. It shone with an ever more pleasant dazzling white than the polar caps. And that's it. That's that's essentially the story of, of Requiem. So I'm going to leave you with a really short episode today, and I'm sorry for that, I guess. I just don't feel I have too much to say about this particular story. It is very short, uh, and there's not that much that happens in the story. I guess thematically we do have this idea of privatization of space. Is that practical? Is that realistic? I have my doubts, of course. But then we have... Uh, you know, the idea of someone achieving their ultimate goal, which is an inspiring and interesting theme that we, we hope for most people, right? We hope for a society where people's dreams will be achieved. And then we have like the state family, a state intruding on the wishes of the individual, the, the treating of old people as helpless, as a need of care of the state. Uh, and I think Heinlein is certainly not agreeing with that here. He's tr he thinks it's much more important to let people have their wishes, even if it puts their lives at risk. Um, so I guess that's it. Um, fine story, I guess. Uh, if you miss it, it's not the end of the world, I suppose. But uh, if you read The Man Who Sold the Moon, this is probably something worth reading. Um, so next... I'm going to read if this goes on. So this is very different. This is the one that's there's going to be much more to say about. In fact, I might have to do it in two episodes. It is, um, it's a novel. If this goes on, or a novella, really, it's, it's the audiobook version is about five hours long, and it deals with a future theocratic America. It's all in the Future History series. It's part of that, but it's a theocratic America that, uh, and then rebellion against it. It's actually collected in the book rebellion in 2100 i'm reading the original um astounding magazine version and which comes in two parts so i might just break it up into two parts we'll see uh, how much i have to say about it it might be worthwhile to just do it in one one take but but we'll see as i write my notes about it so anyways that's all i'm going to say for now uh thanks for listening and i will see you next time